We all need encouragement from time to time, especially when facing a a daunting task. Uh, This seems like a lifetime ago, but I did swim on a swim team, um, the Lock Bramer swim team. It was a neighborhood thing, and I can remember one uh, meet that we had, and uh, it was a relay, and I was supposed to be the anchor in this relay. This is how desperate the team was. Um, and I was to swim the breaststroke, and I started off, before I even hit the water, I was already starting off a full body length behind the leader. And uh, so this is a, a daunting task, to say the least. What, what this means is, if you're not really familiar with swimming and relays and all that, it means that our team had a preciously small chance at this point of pulling all these things together of actually winning. So I hit the water. And I'm doing my strokes, and I'm moving through, and on that final, final lap, as I'm coming up in and out, in and out, I can hear in the midst of the other voices of the crowd, my dad. And my dad saying, push it. Push it. Go, Richard. Go. And I did. And I caught up went past the guy, and won. Now that's freakish. You need to understand, as far as my record in swimming, as far as that goes. If you've seen the Rocky movies, it's kind of like that. The floundering and the half, you know, rock. Anyway. But the point being, though, it really it wasn't my strokes. I, I really believe that. It wasn't, you know, my training, my practice. It, it wasn't enough of that. It was my father's word of encouragement that is pushing me forward. That's what made the difference. And Jesus here in our text this morning is is speaking words of encouragement to his people and and into an area of our lives that I think we all, I know I do and I dare say you all as well, really do need it. And that is just praying. Just praying. So if you have your, your Bible with you, I'd ask you to turn with me to Matthew 7. Uh, Matthew 7, verses 7 through 12. Uh, this is something of an overlap if you were here last week. There's a bit of an overlap here, uh, both textually as well as topically. Uh, but there's a reason uh, for that, because we could only go but so far with what, where we were going uh, last week. And so we're picking up something of, of that with something of that I hear this week. So Matthew's Gospel, if you're trying to find that, that's the first book in the New Testament, the first of the four Gospels that we have, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. We're in Matthew 7. We're going to read verses 7 through 12. Hear now God's word. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, we, we need to hear this. Um, we know that simply because you, you spoke it. And you don't just speak for nothing. So we, we know just immediately the fact that you are addressing this area, this, this topic of prayer, immediately tells us 
that there's something here that we need to, to hear. So we ask you would help us to start with a, a humility of understanding and, and, and a teachability right at the outset, simply because of who it is that is speaking. But at the same time, we, we also readily acknowledge, every one of us here, it doesn't matter how long or short a time that we have walked with you, or perhaps we're here this morning and we don't even know who really you are. And this, this topic of prayer is a, is a mystery to us. So we, we all, we all are coming to you this morning in need, needing your instruction and needing understanding. And so we ask that you would please, please be merciful and speak now to us through your word to our hearts. Amen. Well, anniversaries, anniversaries and birthdays are, are oftentimes, and rightly so, a time to, to take a stock, to take a step back, um, to pause, to reflect. Fourth of July, right? Independence Day, that's a perfect occasion. I mean, and, and there are no few pundits who are, are doing that even now. Every year, it's sort of like a tradition, just as much as the, the barbecue and the fireworks. There's the pundits who come out and they see the opportunity uh, to to ask the questions and uh, to give some analysis. Where are we? You know, these many, many years later after that first Independence Day, where are we? Where are we heading? Where are we going? Why are we heading that way? What's going on? What are the trends? What do we need to do to fix this? Assuming that, you know, they're saying that there's a fixing need to, you need to take place, depending on who's writing. And, and all of that reflection, all of that pausing and taking stock is worth doing because, you know, there's fundamentals in play and you don't want to drift from your, your fundamentals, especially when there are forces at work and things in play and there are high stakes involved. And so it can be good, wise to take stock and take a step back and reflect on the fundamentals. Jesus, Jesus is pressing here on the fundamentals. Jesus is pressing here on, on, on the fundamentals of the Christian life. And so he is exhorting us to persistent prayer. Read uh, the first two verses again. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock, it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. The idea is do this. Do this and keep on doing it. Do this and keep on doing it. You see that these three commands, the, the ask, the seek, and the knock, the three commands, and then there are promises given which each, with each of those three commands. And then if you think about what Jesus does here, he repeats the promises that he has just given there in the verse before. Why? What's going on here? Why, why go to that extra trouble? It just comes down to this. Because it is so fundamental to following him, Jesus exhorts us to persistent prayer. Or if I can just turn it just a little bit. Um, persistent prayer is fundamental to following him, and so therefore he exhorts us in it. I mean, however you want to play with that sentencing and that, that, that statement, that's what you have going on here. And you see the fundamental nature, the fundamental, I guess, need to engage and persist in Prayer, if we're to be followers of him, you see it come out in, in these three ways that I just want to look at briefly here together this morning, and it, it's right in this, this passage. First, the reality of the demands, that presses us towards persistent prayer. Then our inability to comply with those demands presses us towards persistent prayer. But then there's a third thing, and that is the compassion of our Father. That also pressing us 
towards persistent prayer. But I want to look at these in, in turn. So first... The reality of the demands. Uh, let's look at the think about the immediate context, uh, the tension that's here before us. Now, I, I'm just kind of piggybacking on some of the things we talked about last week. And if you feel a little lost here, because I'm not, I can't. That was a whole sermon, okay? So you can look that up on the web if you want on the website. But I'm just really hitting some high points real, real quickly here right now. The tension before us in the, in the passage immediately preceding what we read just a little while ago. Verses 1 through 6. In verses 1 through 5, Jesus says, Yes, you are indeed to be morally discerning, but you are not to be judgmental in your moral discernment. Or put another way, as he says here um, in verses 1 through 5, If I see a speck in your eye, using that imagery, if I see the speck in your eye, that's fine, but at first I need to deal with the log that is in my own before I, I go to you. Now, that said, that's on, on the one hand, verses 1 through 5. Here's the other side of the, the, the tension, verse 6. He said, okay, but you're not to be naive. You're not to be simpletons. We talked about this last week. There is a time to stop because there is a treasure to keep. That's what we talked about here. So there's this tension. That's the point. There is this tension here in this text immediately preceding what he says in verses 7 through 12 which then puts a question before us. The tension forces a question, and the question is, are we up to this? Can you do this? This is awfully hard. Do you really think you're up to the challenge here? Given our whims, given our whimsies, given our moods. I mean, we're going to make a shipwreck of this left to ourselves. And that in of itself impels prayer. Just the immediate context Verses 1 through 6. But it's not just the immediate context. It's the, it's the larger context in which this passage sits. The content of the whole Sermon on the Mount. That has to be taken into account as well. And you see that because of verse 12. There's a clue here that, that where Jesus is saying, now I want you to remember everything that I've said. Not just what, what I said just a second ago, but everything that I've been saying going all the way back to chapter 5. And you see, verse 12, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Now, you're like, well, how does that tell you that? Well, go back with me to chapter 5, verse 17. Some, there's a clause there, and it forms bookends, 5.17 and 7.12. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. There you see the law of the prophets, another, of the first reference to that. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So now he's saying, I want you to take into account the whole thing in terms of these demands that are before you. And the summary of all of that, back to 7.12, is the golden rule. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. By the way, the golden rule is not whoever has the gold rules. It, 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 is, it is not uh, do unto others before they do unto you. Uh, it's do unto others as you would have them. That's the paraphrase. As you would have them do unto you, which is far beyond the negative. That's a positive way of stating it. You know, the negative way of stating would be, don't do to others what you wouldn't want them what to do to you, or something like that. Um, now, that's the way that ancient philosophers and teachers and wise sages all through history have stated it, in that negative way. World religions all over the place have axioms like that, the negative way of stating it. And that's actually pretty easy, because you can fulfill that by doing nothing. 
But that's not where Jesus leaves you. Jesus says, no, I'm asking you, I'm telling you to step forward. I'm telling you to take initiative and do the positive good. Do to others what you would have them do to you. Treat them the way you would have them treat you. That is a much taller order. Back to the reality of the demands. That alone presses us towards persistent prayer. Just think about it this way. We are not free, though we might like to be, we are not free uh, to dumb down Jesus' commands. We're not free, we're not given the latitude uh, to, to monkey with what he says here. For, for instance, I mean, not to, to trim on the intensity of the Beatitudes or uh, the equivalencies in God's eyes that he says are there between lust and adultery or hate and murder or, or just say, you know, I'm not really sure, you know, love enemies. We're not given the latitude to do any of that. To just say, well, you know, surely he didn't mean that. That's some, you know, ancient Semitic exaggeration. No, that's, that is exactly what he said and exactly what he meant. And it's a tall order, a steep hill, and that alone, the reality of the demands and the grade, impels us to pray. But that takes me immediately, us immediately, to the second point. Because this is not just about the reality of the demands, and maybe the most mature of us can handle it. But we need to talk about the inability that we all have to comply, all of us, to comply with those commands. Now, I want you to think with me. Um, the op- Jesus' operating assumption, it's, just, it's almost like an aside. He just slides it in. Like we, we all do. Like with our assumptions, we just, you know, it's, it's, we assume it's our preconceptions, it's... What does he assume, what does he know, and just state almost offhandedly about us? don't know if you caught this. It's, uh, it's verse 11. If you then who are evil... You know, he didn't say, if you then know how to give good gifts. It's, if, if you then who are evil... Evil? Evil? Really? My goodness. If you then are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. And then it goes on from there. This is a way uh, theologians of the years have referred to this as total depravity. That's what Jesus is alluding to. He's just, I mean, just an assumption about every man, woman, and child that we are evil. And that by this, what he does not mean, let's be clear, what he's, he's not saying that we are as bad as we could be. Believe it or not, I could be, you could be a lot worse. He's not saying we're as bad as we could be. He is not saying that we are utterly evil and utterly depraved. He's not saying here that we are incapable of doing any good whatsoever. I mean, he actually speaks just to the contrary here in that text. But what he is saying is this, that we are, every one of us, self-centered and not God-centered. We live for ourselves. No matter what else we may want to say, we live for ourselves. And everything we do, in rebellion, stiff-necked, hard-hearted, thick-skulled, all of that, everything that we do is tainted and polluted 
by that radical, total depravity. You who are evil. That's what Jesus says. Now that has some grave implications for all of us here, thinking about our inability to comply with these commands. Just looking at that immediate context, going back to that, verses 1 through 5, and then verse 6, so you have that command, verses 1 through 5, but get, you know, before you get the speck out of one person's eye, the log in your own eye, and then the whole thing about um, the, the uh, time to stop because of treasure and heat. That balance, it's like you know the Summer Olympics, right? The gymnastics, I guess, are coming at some point. The balance beam, we can't maintain the balance. Just with verses 1 through 6, we're continually falling off one way, one side, or, or the other. Or, my goodness gracious, now let's just let's take the larger context. Just, just the Sermon on the Mount. I'm not, we're not even looking at any of the other 65 books of the Bible, and we're not even looking at all 28 chapters of Matthew. Let's just look at three chapters in one book. The Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapters 5 through 7. Let's go back, not literally, I don't have the time, go back and reread it all. But there is nothing here that I can do. Or you. In our own strength. This, what Jesus is saying here, the description of our heart's condition, he's speaking of an absolute, of a crippledness. Of a, of a bentness, such that there's nothing here that we are really able to comply. And that, my friends, when you get that, the, uh, the reality of the demands and our inability to comply with those demands ought to then press us all the more towards a persistent prayer. If following Jesus, followers of Jesus, if that's who we are. So, so I said a few minutes ago that regarding his commands, we dare not ever play them down Coupled with that, I think you also have to say this. Regarding our ability to walk out those commands, we dare not ever play that up. Because that is a golden ticket to the pride, the arrogance, the folly that comes before a crushing fall. It's, it's, it's surefire. Surefire at, at, at that point. Our inability to comply presses us towards persistent prayer. Now, so far, I know this has been a real downer. I got that. But there's another component here. There's another component here. One, one last thing, a third thing, that's also every bit as much in this passage, maybe even more so, maybe, maybe even trumping the first two things. Not making them less true, but I guess you could say eclipsing. And here's the encouragement. Verses 9 through 11. The compassion of our Father, the compassion of our Father towards people like us grappling with the reality of the demands and grappling with our inability to comply and then the compassion of our Father, yet also all the more pressing us towards persistent prayer. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? So, it's a very simple argument that Jesus is making here. It's a very straightforward line of logic if we, were just, if we could just follow it, if we could just believe it. 
He says, look, you're, you're human fathers. They will not give their children that which is useless and harmful, you know, the stone instead of the bread or the snake instead of the fish, but rather, even on their worst days, will give them at least what they believe to be for their good, for their best, even though on their best days, by the way, they are evil. Okay, if that's the case of our human fathers, how much more then, you see this argument from lesser to greater, how much more than, given God's wisdom, power, and love for us, how much more then will He then care for us and carry us through? Okay, it's a very simple argument. It's very straightforward. And if we will but hear it, it has tremendous implications for us. If we can have but ears to hear this. Who is God, for instance? I mean, this is crucial. This is essential that we get this. Who is God? He is not a stranger that we need to persuade. He is not a tyrant that we need to fear. He is not a doting old Santa Claus grandfather figure that we can exploit and manipulate. Nor is he a genie with the lamp that we can just use. He is our Father in heaven. He is our Father in heaven. That's who he is. Now what does he give? Look at how Jesus puts it here in verse 11. He gives good gifts to his children. He gives good things to those who ask him. And we're wrestling with what is that What does that mean? Well, actually, if you look at the parallel passage in Luke 11, Jesus says he gives the Holy Spirit, which is a clue as to what he means here in Matthew 7 regarding the good gifts and the good things. Now, if I can just take this as a corpus with the whole of the Sermon on the Mount, here's what this means. It means he delights to make us increasingly, ever so much, as his people, as his children, beatitudinal people transforming us slowly but surely to match up with that description of what it looks like to follow Him. He delights to hear the the pleas of His children, the cries of His children, the requests. Oh, would you make me one who actually pursues and and at least in some poor way walks in accordance with the golden rule here in 7.12. Oh, see, this is the the best of the gifts. These are the best of the things. As He makes us more and more like Himself, that's actually what you really want. That's actually what your deepest, most pressing, most urgent heart's cry is, even if you don't recognize it as such. And that's the best thing. That's the better thing, the greater, nobler thing that He delights to give. And so He, our Father, our Father in Heaven, oh, this impels all the more us towards persistent prayer. Now, let me just throw this out there. That does not necessarily mean an easy way that He answers those requests. The easy path, the straightforward, simple way that He connects the dot. You know, okay, I'm going to make you more like that. Sometimes it's like surgery without the anesthesia. 
and what he may bring you through in order to bring that about, that good thing. Sometimes it's like 40 years in the desert, and you just feel like you're wandering. But he is our Father in heaven, and despite all appearances at times, he knows what he's doing and can be trusted. And that can push us towards a life of persistent prayer. The very thing he is exhorting us to here. Back to 7, 7, and 8. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. Okay, obvious repetition. The repetition here is striking. It's also, I mean, with that it's equally obvious that Jesus wants us to hear this. And we are very slow to hear. That's why we see the repetition. Why are we so slow to hear? Why can't we just get this? You know, there's lots of things I don't get. You know, just at a, at a more benign levels. You know, sports. I've tried golf. Don't ask me to play. Don't like it. Don't get it. Don't understand it. Certain subjects, I don't get those either. Calculus, I tried. Literally failed. Back years and years ago. Don't get it. Can't handle it. Not wired for it. Okay? There's things I don't get. There's things you don't get. There's things that just don't come naturally to us. What about Matthew 7? Ask, seek, knock. I don't get that either. It's not coming naturally to me. Or to any of us. Why? Because we actually believe the very opposite of these points. We, 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 we think of the reality of the demands and we don't think they're that demanding. We don't think they're that big, that hard. When we think of our inability to comply, we, well, I'm not that crippled up, thanks. The goodness, the compassion of my Father, well, yeah. we're not hearing it. We're not seeing it. We're not feeling it. We're not believing it. But I, you know, the thing that ties all that together is our pride. The way we've bought into the lie of our self-sufficiency and self-dependency, thinking we can handle it, we can do it, we can't. And so he's saying to us, my, my child, ask, seek, and knock. He's pressing hard here to press the point home. It's fundamental to following him. And so he's exhorting us, every one of us here, to a life of persistent prayer. Let's pray together. Lord, we are so slow to hear. Just like your disciples there on that hillside. We are slow to hear. We need this repetition. We need to have this drummed into our heads and our hearts. And we pray that you would perhaps even this morning begin to crack something open so that it would get in. Cause the, the truth here, the hope here, the encouragement here to, to penetrate. We've been lied to. And we've lied to ourselves. And we ask that you'd help us to hear the truth. May we walk in these things, live out these things, rest in these things. May we learn 
truly what a praying life is as children of our Heavenly Father. We ask this in our elder brother, in his name, Jesus. Amen.